Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back for episode 111. That's 111 of Freight 360. And surprisingly, I am chipper, even though my bill's lost on Monday night. But we're back for another great episode. We'll get into that in just a second. But Ben, how are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Weather's beautiful down here. Um, Yeah, I got literally no complaints. Got some family coming into town, and it'll be my birthday next week. So I'll be turning 40. Yeah, 28th. Yeah. Nice. Thursday next week, man. Well, happy early birthday to you. We'll give you a shout out next week as well. Um, I'm on the road this week. I'm down in Nashville, Tennessee, the company I work for, Pierce Worldwide Logistics, down in Brentwood, Tennessee. Got to go uh, sit 50 yard line club seats at the game Monday night. Just, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't, man. Never, you know, I didn't get the details on the seats. So, I mean, at the very least, it had it was to be awesome. It, it was really a good cool. experience. Um, one of the best football games that I think I've ever been to and really watched. It was such an offensive uh power there but um yeah i mean let's just talk about the game right now and get this over with i'm gonna keep it short and sweet um josh allen fourth and one at the end of the game anyone that was watching monday night football saw that he did not convert some people are giving him crap saying that was the wrong or giving the 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 playing the play call crap saying that that was the wrong um play for the bills coaches to call i disagree prior to monday night josh allen was 13 for 14 on converting that same play um, and he's 13 for 15 on it now. So, yep. But the uh, 34-31, I think, was the final. It was a, could have been tied up with a field goal, but oh, well. It is what it is. Um, around the horn, your Steelers won. They and did. And I was an idiot last week. Russell Wilson had a bro- has a broken finger, and I totally forgot. And I was like, why is Pittsburgh favored in this game against the Seahawks? But that is exactly why. So Take a win wherever you get them. As far as this season goes, so. Yeah, well, at least one of us got a win this week. Yeah. So, um, other than that, uh, Cardinals, I think, are still undefeated. Baltimore had a blowout game against uh, Cleveland. That's your division right there, right? So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, Red Sox are uh, actually, I got a TV right next to me. Game five of the ALCS is currently being played. Uh, it's tied two to two. Red Sox got blown out nine to two last night, uh, which was Tuesday night. But um, hey, looks like it could be a, a Red Sox Atlanta Braves World Series. We'll see what happens. Got a couple games left, but that's I think where it's trending. Um, that's enough for sports for now. Um, Bills are off next week anyway, so I got you know no losses to worry about. So four and two going into the bye. Um, so hey, welcome back to Freight Three Sixty. Glad you're with us. Keep sharing us with your friends. Dude, we've been getting blown up with questions and feedback from our listeners. Today, is, we're going to just answer a bunch of questions. Got some good ones in here. Yeah, uh, looking forward to it. you noticed a lot, Ben? A lot, just a lot more people reaching out to us, asking for help and advice and questions on things. I've seen a huge, huge spike in it. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously the YouTube channel's getting a lot more traction. We're releasing the podcast on YouTube as a video form, so lots of people seem to be enjoying that. Um, the webinar went really well with DAT. We had a great turnout over that. I think it was something like 1,700 people or something registered for it. Yeah. I know we both really enjoyed doing that, so, you know, that was a lot of fun. I know we picked up a lot of people through that. Everything just seems to be moving in the right direction. And I think more importantly than anything, though, like, more of the people we've been working with on a one-on-one basis have reached out to me just even recently and said, you know, like their businesses are doing better than ever. They are hitting the metrics, their goals. When we first started working with them, some of them like a year and a half ago now that are just finally like hitting on all cylinders. They're starting to hire better people. And, you know, it all takes time. And it's really nice to hear from everybody that we've worked with um, throughout, you know, even our short brief history are doing really well. Our industry's in the news. So, I mean, lots of really interesting stuff as it relates to shipping. I agree. The, I'll tell you, group coaching has been doing really good. A lot of great conversations. I almost wish we had more than an hour to do it when we do it, but, you know, we've got to gotta make sure we, you know, keep everybody um, only for as, as long as, as that one hour is and let them get back to the grind. But uh, a lot of great successes in this past week's session. Cool. So, um, and if I'm you haven't to- checked out coaching, Check it out, the group. Um, if you get the Freight Broker Basics course, you get a free month. I know a lot of people have not taken advantage of that, so make sure you you hop in if you bought the course. Um, there's a coupon code that you would have gotten in the email, and that'll get you a free month. So, and um, here's the um, the other nice piece that I wanted to mention and to clarify for anybody out there considering that option. Um, what's really nice is it's turned into a really collaborative group where everybody shares and helps each other. But I really see the biggest benefit to everybody by being able to get that outside perspective amongst their peers, right? Because most of our audience, and I think a lot of people too, are working at some point from home. And it's just nice to get that outside feedback when you're kind of siloed by yourself, especially if you're early on in your prospecting career. It's really nice to be able to go and ask and hear what your peers are doing, hear what calls they're making, hear the response, and really just get feedback on knowing you're still going down the right you know, avenues, paths, whatever, what have you. Yeah. So to all those out there having good successes right now, this is for you. It never gets old. Like <laughs> that was the round of applause. So, well, cool. Uh, before we get into all the, the long list of Q and a here today, Ben let's uh, let's get a shout out to our friends over at DAT who we just did the webinar with, but, Yep. Let's hear Taking it. the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Trucker's Edge, Power, and DAT Express. You know what I love about Dad Power? And I, like I said, we, uh, we practice what we preach. I'm helping one of my agents out right now that has, like many other brokers, ran to the issue of his regular carriers aren't being so loyal and they're chasing higher paying freight. So we're using the Dat directory to source every reefer carrier domiciled out of the location that his backhaul um that his backhaul lane that he's trying to get we're finding all of them right now getting their information and we're going to do a uh, a good old email campaign showing them what lanes we have available 
And um, that tool, that tool is great. So you can do the same thing with your, your TMS if you've got a carrier database in there and all that stuff. But man, I love it. So. Yeah, but that's a great way to kind of outreach and just kind of nudge and be like, you know, kind of not out of sight, out of mind and just being at the forefront of carriers' minds that like, hey, you have these lanes and you're looking for more capacity. And if they see them consistent enough, they're going to start reaching out and saying, hey, you know, like, hey, this might be a good fit. So you've had this lane for the past few weeks. Don't be surprised if it doesn't happen in your first email. All of it takes consistency and all of it takes time. Yep, you're right. All right, so let's get into our questions today. These are great. Um, so first of all, I like this first one. The question is, how do I handle the question, quote, what's the best you can do, end quote, when it's from a carrier? So let's say, for example, you get on the phone, right? You talk to Vlad or whoever the dispatcher or the carrier is, right? And um, maybe you say, hey, this is paying 3200 And their first response is, what's the best you can do? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of angles to this and we've all, you know, we've all run into it, whether it's in brokerage or somewhere else, people want a deal, right? Um, I'll tell you this, a lot of brokers, they, they know it's going to come. So they will start lower than they're actually willing to pay yep. because they need to, in order to come back and make these people, I feel like the, the dispatchers and carriers, they want to feel like, Ooh, I got more money out of them than, you know, they want to pay. Right. Yeah. You, you had a stat on it months ago about having not using like round or even numbers. Right. Having like a specific rate that's like makes someone feel like it's very detailed. Believable. Right? Yeah. Like odd pricing is a really good technique that you can use to make it honestly appear as if that is the highest you can go right um and i know brokers that still do that like hey you know maybe their their top rate is 900 and they're going to stop at 888 like look this is the care this is my shipper max like i'll give you everything i have in it and this is the part where like you've got to sell it a little bit too right you've got to sell that to the carrier that this is all you have right yep. so in some cases i've had to sell that load where that is all i have and my posted rate and that's the thing, that's a drawback, right? Because if you leave a little bit in the tank, right, to be able to give them, that means you're a little less competitive on the load board if you're posting your rate. So it's it, there's give and take on either yep. side. But you've really got to sell that. It's got to be to that carrier, like, look, if you're posted a thousand, like, look, this is the max I've got. I've already got everything I've got in it. I've got it all posted on the board. They really won't budge. Is there any way we can make this work? What are you guys looking for on this? And then offering maybe something else. Like you've brought this up many times. Like I'll be more than happy to go look at the boards to try to find you a backhaul out of there. Maybe I even have another backhaul from another customer where I'm delivering that I can help that customer out with. Do yep. something to make them feel as if they've won. There's a, there's a tool in a lot of TMSs too that'll help you lock down capacity based on all your active loads right now. Is anyone delivering near where this next load is going out of? And that's a quick way to use technology if you already have it to do that. I know um, like McLeod has that tool. It's called Continuous Movements. Um, we had it at the last brokerage I was with. It was a proprietary TMS, but it was basically the, it was looking for what we called delivering loads, right? So um, if I'm trying to cover this load, it'll scan the system and say, hey, it's picking up in Chicago. Who do I have delivering in Chicago in the next few days that has that same equipment type? So there's a lot of cool stuff out there to do that. Now, the other part of this too is you may want to ask this, this carrier, what are they looking for, right? Like how much are they, what do they have in their mind? Because there is a chance that you guys are on 
way different ends of the spectrum as far as your expectation. Like you might say 3,200, but my really my max sell rate's 3,400. And they might say 4,500 and the cheapest they'll take it for is 4,200. And it's like, you guys aren't, you're not even in the ballpark. You're way off. And that's that other little dance, right? Like the first person to speak loses, I've heard, right? And you always get in this. And I remember training brokers and especially the big brokerages, they'll, they'll train on this of, you know, you you try to him haw to get them to answer first. Like, well, what, what, what's your max on this? Well, like, where are you looking to be? Like, what are you looking for? Well, yep. just tell me what you have and I'll let you know if it works. And then you get this back and forth of like this stalemate, right? And the theory is the first person to, to say anything why they're at a disadvantage is, is now the other person has more information. Um, so like there is some validity to that in negotiation, but the reality is, is like I try to get through it and I also try to sell on consistency because to be honest, if it isn't a hot load or a spot load that is a one-off for my customer, I am gonna try to get that carrier into my carrier base. My mind always wants to go towards how do I get more long-term benefit, not just cover a load. So even if I have a carrier and I'm way off, let's say they want 45 in your example, and I'm at 32, right? I might go to them, look, hey, like maybe this doesn't work for you today, but do you guys look for this lane often? Are you in this area every yeah. week? Do you have other drivers here every week, right? Because I can, maybe this doesn't work today, but let me write your info down because if you're there often, maybe we can make this work because the value add to them is now they don't have to look for a load every week and you're saving exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it time, over, time and time again, right? Every one of those phone calls should have some value brought out of it when you're talking to a carrier. Right. Learn a little bit more about them. Log those notes in your CRM, in your TMS, all that stuff. And good here's stuff. another good, another couple of questions on this same on the same this same question is ask them like, hey, before you get to the negotiation, before they jump right into the math and the numbers, right? Ask them like, hey, is your driver looking to get home? Is he in the middle of his week? Is he fresh on hours? What are you guys looking for? Are you looking for direction? Or are you guys looking for your highest paying load? I can find that out with ever how without ever even having to get to the back and forth, right? Because to your point, if he's gonna just be honest, say, look, I'm just looking for the highest paying load, I don't care what direction. Okay, we're not a good fit, I'll move to the next one. I don't need to waste my time, theirs or ours. That's 100% true, I love it. Okay, our next question here, um, this is about the difference in a big and a small brokerage. So the question is, what are the pros and cons of working for a small brokerage versus a big brokerage? Um, the big name brokerages out there, for example, right? Your CH Robinson, Coyote, TQL, right? These are national big mega brokers that, that you know, they're billion dollar revenue plus companies, thousands of brokers, uh, branches all over the place. And then you've got your little mom and pop shops, right? That may just be one little office in your town and there's 10 or 12 people working there, right? So what are the pros and cons to each one? Um, I will tell you the, I'll let you speak to the big one, but I'm, let me tell you about the smaller brokerage side, okay? Um, so I wouldn't call Pierce a small brokerage, but because we have a lot of agents. Mid-size. Yeah, yeah, but like if you were to go back, you know, 15 years, right? When there really wasn't a big agent, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of agents really in the industry compared to, to now. But say, you know, the size of our company, just the brokerage probably only was, you know, less than 20 people. Now, the benefit there is you are never going to be just a number, right? You are going to get to know each and every person very, very well. There's a lot less 
corporate tape and hoops to jump through to try to get something done. It's fairly easy to get a change to something done as far as like an SOP or a procedure. So let's say for example, um, it's being done this way right now, but you know, this, because of this one customer, I'm, I want to see if we can change our insurance to cover this. And that's a lot easier than if you're one of thousands that know this is just the way that it is for us. Um, on the downside of a smaller brokerage, um, and I, I didn't experience this, but I, I know of smaller brokerages that have run into issues with, um, you know, they, they didn't necessarily have, since they don't have as many people, they never had a chance to get those home run hitting brokers on their team. So growth was slower. They also may have had carriers that never heard of their brokerage before. Um, maybe tougher for cash flow and establishing credit and the ability to take some risks on certain customers. So, I mean, there's, there's some simple pros and cons on the smaller brokerage. Um, I also tell you in a smaller brokerage pro, you are not competing against as many people, right? So, you know, you're not, you're not worried, is this, is this account taken by another broker in another office that I've never met before? So, what do you think about the big size ones, Ben? You covered a lot of them. I would say, I mean, the ones are that are obvious for being at a big brokerage are you have a lot of weight you could throw around. So the name, typically get some recognition, get you they some trust you right out yeah. of the gate, right? Same with the carrier base. You're gonna have access to just more faster as it relates to carriers. Um, for the simple think fact the, that- Think about all the data in your TMS already yes. too. The data, like your lane data, knowing what your company has paid, knowing what other, and that, that also is a drawback, right? Because even with that data, and one of the things I had learned are like, it means very different things based on who was booking it, who was willing to pay for it, what their shipper was. So the numbers have a lot of subjectivity to it. And the more you have, the more the range is. Um, so there's a drawback pro and con, I think, to that information. To your other point, like you could take some larger risks, like some of my larger accounts, like I was able to basically put the company's name on a piece of paper without having to insure some of the things because they're large enough that the customers know the financial well-being could be yep. covered literally in a check if it was necessary. Like, and that happens. They'll cut checks for six figures to just make things right to keep customers happy. That's an advantage. Big drawbacks. Very hard to get accounts in your name. So where it's easier to get an account to maybe talk to you or to open up at first, you still have a large difficulty in getting accounts in your name to be able to reach out to because your biggest barrier to entry are your peers. All of yeah. those things that are assets are a drawback when it comes to prospecting. Um, I, I would say another big drawback though is like when you're at a bigger brokerage, like you have your hands tied in regards to like what margins you need to charge, what you need to make. And like you really don't have the ability to be nimble in a way that our business like rewards it. For example, like I was, I had access to massive volumes at lower margin loads for like one customer at a big brokerage and they were gonna be like 60 bucks a load. Um, and we just couldn't get them approved because the break even they considered was little above that. But the reality was we could have pushed hundreds of these through a week and literally made tens of thousands of dollars and I just never could get it approved because that variable number was just below the company's policy. Yep. And even, I mean, I literally took that to the CFO and I couldn't get it signed off on. And yeah. I mean, there were things that like, you're literally not gonna be able to do. And it, it reminded me of being a kid when you ask your parents to go somewhere and they just go, no, why? Because we said so. And you're like, but I mean, I've got valid reasons and I've made the case and I can lay it out at the end of the day. 
Yeah, you just I have think, to live with that sometimes. I think also, and my input here comes from my experience dealing with agents that have come from both big and smaller brokerages, but the ones that came from the big brokerages, I had people that I, I knew I wouldn't bring on board as an agent because they didn't make it at a TQL or somewhere else. I knew what the, you know, I knew what you had to hit. And if you weren't there for six months, it tells me you didn't make it. That's why you were only there for five or five and a half months. That's true. Um, But on the contrary, if I saw someone that was there for like three, four years, they obviously were doing something right. Now here's, let let me talk about a little bit of the danger on the the smaller brokerage side. And I talk to, I talk to people like this all the time that um, they're, they've only had one job in brokerage and it's been with you know one small broker and i hear about just the the crap that they they tell me and i'm like that's insane but it's it's all they know because their boss who owned the brokerage wasn't that good of a boss wasn't a very good mm-hmm. business owner and a, and a manager and a leader and i'm like what do you mean you, you couldn't go do this because you know oh i can't go i can't go try to get military freight because We've never done that before. It's like, well, of course, there's going to be a first for everything, right? So, um, the way we've always done. I had someone tell me this morning that she's like, I wanted to do, uh, I want to do LTL. My boss says, no, we don't do that. And I was like, well, you know, probably don't have any LTL carriers that you're set up with, and your pricing wouldn't be good. But there's always to do that. But for the boss to just tell her, like, no, we don't do that. And that's the end of the conversation. Those are some potential drawbacks of a smaller brokerage. So they are. Yeah. And I mean, humans are humans and people only know what they know and you don't know what you don't know. And in a lot of small businesses, that's really, you know, kind of the head wall you run into. But honestly, that's one of the reasons why we do this, why we do the show, why we put out the content is to try to make information more readily available to everybody so that because honestly, what is the main reason why most businesses don't do those things? It's fear. It's always fear. Yep. It's scared. It's I don't yeah, know no. the risk. I don't know what to do. And, I, and it's just easier to say no and then to just leave it at that. But I've found that, you know, even in other industries, like if I've had managers like this and I want to go do something different, like I'm going to make the case and I'm going to try to make it over a long enough period. I'm going to try to mitigate the risks. But you want to be sure, just like in selling a shipper, ask a lot of questions to do your best to understand why that answer exists in the first place. Because it may be fear, but it may be that they had an agent that tried to do this a year and a half ago, ran up a couple hundred thousand dollars, couldn't invoice for it, and they had to write it off and they don't want to do it again. And maybe there is a valid justification, but you need to ask these questions instead of assume. A small brokerage will likely be burned once and never make that mistake again, where a larger brokerage has the ability to take risk a second time and hopes for a better outcome. So that's also true. Yeah. And if you see me, I know for people listening, you can't see me, but Ben, I know you can and anyone on YouTube, I keep looking over at this Red Sox game. The Houston Astros scored a home run. So the Red Sox are down one nothing. But anyway, uh, as we record here on Wednesday, um, next question. What should a carrier do if they realize that they've been given a double brokered load? This is interesting. And that's kind of a cool question um, because we usually talk about it from the broker broker. perspective. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to, so I've never been a carrier that has been given a double brokered load. I don't work on the asset side of our company, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to backwards talk this based on the way that kind of our principles as a broker, how you should treat it, right? So um, number one, who's the bad guy in the situation? 
it's the carrier that double brokered it, right? The carrier that actually loaded it, that didn't know, right? They didn't do anything wrong. What they did do is they realized something was off. And we're assuming, but we're assuming that it wasn't done correctly, right? Aren't we assuming that they're like, that this is... I guess in this, I'm, I'm assuming this, that let's say you're a broker and I'm a carry, right? You yeah. brokered a loadout to some other carrier and then they brokered it to me because I thought they were just the regular broker. I had no idea. And then I find out when I go to pick up that the customer is a customer of yours, Ben, right? And I'm like, wait mm-hmm. a second, who's Ben? I thought it was this other guy that I got the load from. And I'm like, this sounds weird. So here's what you want to do, right? You want to find out who is the actual broker whose load that was. I want to find mm-hmm. out who is Ben? How do I get a hold of Ben? And once I can get in touch with you and tell you, hey, I don't know who you hired for this load, but it got brokered to me by this other guy. And you know, let's get this worked out. Because ultimately what should happen is the, the, the guy that double brokered it, drop him or her out of the equation. They're done, right? They don't get to make any money off this. What should happen is whoever actually hauled the load, this carrier that is asking this question, should now be invoicing you, Ben, directly and keep that middle, the other guy out of it. That's the way I see it. So my advice is try to find out from your receiver, wherever, however you're identifying that it was double brokered, find out who the, the original broker was, get a hold of them, let them know as soon as possible, because there's a lot of risk here, right? That broker had no idea what insurance you have as a carrier. So they probably want to make sure that everything go okay, first of all. If not, we got a we got possible dumpster fire going on here. Does that make sense? I think that's also true. But I will say that like there is a possibility that this was done correctly, right? Let's just say that like, you know, Tell we talked about this. Tell me how. So in group coaching, we talked about this this week, right? To where like some of your agents work with forwarders, right? Which are brokers. We're, yeah, um, I'd call that a co-broker though. Yeah. I mean, correct. And I guess and I guess we're going to say that since it was double brokered, it was technically done unethically because I'm like a lot yes. of freight forwarders work with brokers. And I'm like, I as a broker and we were talking about this yesterday, like I worked with Landstar and Landstar primarily would give me their asset based trucks. That's why I use them. But occasionally we would get jammed up and my shipper just needed a load and the Landstar brokerage and myself would both work the load boards until we got a truck. And if Landstar got that truck for me, I made sure that I dispatched that driver so that I could vet their insurance, run their MC. And to be honest, I made sure I paid Landstar a margin because they literally hustled to find the truck that I couldn't find. Yeah, and I would call that co-brokering because right. it is, and that driver is not unaware of what's going on. Correct, right? and that's the big so caveat. It sounded like, and maybe I read the question wrong. To me, the question sounded like this carrier's asking like, Something's wrong here. This sound this yes. seems fishy and I I'm just kind of realizing it. What should I do? So And that's also true like cuz if you feel like something's fishy, you should ask the questions and find out absolutely. Yep. Because and again, not a lawyer, but like I'm fairly certain though that like at the end of the day, that any carrier that picks up the load and the freight hits their truck, they're legally owed the money um, yep. regardless of yeah. which hands it touched in between. Absolutely. Good question, man. The, the double brokering. I feel like we've talked on this point 
quite a bit in the recent times, and I'm I'm not surprised just the, the way the capacity is right now, and everyone's trying to make an extra buck on the carrier side. I'm not surprised to see if it's if popping up more often. Well, here's the other thing too, and something else that we talked about in group, right? Is that every one of the large brokerages works with the other large brokerages because there are carriers that just had something happen with some broker at one large company, and they just won't work with that company, and that's yeah. their right. So what happens is you end up with a portion of a of the entire carrier base that just won't work with some of the big companies. So then those big companies reach out to the other big companies and then they get capacity and it's shared in a lot of cases. Yep. Um, but right. again, through co-broking agreements, it's above board, it's transparent. Everybody is aware of what's happening. Nobody is intentionally being misled. And that's the big difference. Absolutely. All right, let's go to our next question. Is it feasible? to make four to $6,000 per month in my first year as a broker. Let me tell you this, if you are not making $4,000 a month, you will not be employed at a, lar a lot of these large brokerages anymore because um, let's say by the end of your first year, Ben, what, what would you expect a big box brokerage to want you to have in profit per week? We're talking like eight, 10K, something like that? Per Per, per week, it's usually about 4K a week, and it's about week. 12 to 16 on a monthly basis. So okay. right around so, there is where you should be after your first year. Yep, and do the math on it. If you're making, let's say 20, 25% commission, or maybe you're yep. making 15% plus base, you, yeah, you're going to be making, you, you'll be making like 50 grand a year at that 4K a week type of uh, um, level. I will also tell you that if you're not, if, so if you're an agent, right, and you're making four to six K per month, um, you're not producing a whole lot. You're, I mean, even if, if you're at like a 50% or a 60% split, do the math on it, you're really only doing, you know, what, seven, eight K a month. And if you're at like a 70%, you're, you're doing six K, something like that. So it's, that's, that's, I don't call those good numbers. Yeah. I'd like to see a broker when they're a, a year in, if you're not doing like 10 K a month, um, I don't, I don't know if I would, I don't know if, I typically wouldn't call that successful, depending on the situation, but like the big, big brokerages, they, they expect you to be doing that kind of business. You have to, yeah, you're not gonna have a seat anymore because that's what it costs to maintain that seat. And I mean, like those are, and that's back to the earlier question, you know, pros and cons, big versus small brokerage. You're at a smaller commission commission percentage at the larger. To Nate's point, like they're usually twenty two to twenty five, twenty to twenty five. So what you make per week? Hold on, I'm gonna pause about, right there. Do you remember when we talked with Kevin Hill? There mm -hmm. was a Freightwave survey done. The average, and this was this came out in one of our recent videos or um, blogs we did. But essentially, that they pulled like a bunch of the W two models. The average pay scale was like 40K base plus 13 point something percent commission. So it's even lower percentage at some of these companies. But yeah, if you're if you're on like a straight commission, 20, 25%, yeah. And that is really interesting. But I was also talking with somebody else about that this week. What you don't know about that number is, is that 13 on top of their base? Because the 25 is you've got to make your base and then you get above it. So you yeah. basically have to earn what you're already getting before you get to commission. And then in some companies I've worked with and done consulting with, like you get your base and every dollar you get on top of that. So I can see how you end up with, you know, maybe a 13% because effectively it probably is yeah. a little higher. 
You're right. Um, and that's, there are, yeah, there's really three ways that we just outlined right there, right? You could be like base and then you get commission on every penny you produce from, you know, dollar one, right? Yep. Or you could be base and you Two don't have a commission until, you know, you've hit a certain level. Or you could be on a draw, right? Where they're going to yep. forge you a, you know, a commission to make it feel like a base. And then once you start outperforming that, you got to pay back that draw. It's, man, there's all kinds of ways. So. But again, another advantage to being on the, on the smaller side of things, you've got flexibility as the owner of a company and as an employee, ask these questions. Um, likely, if you're interviewing in a smaller company, they may have the ability to do some things creative that work for everybody involved. Um, yep. But again, you, get, you typically get to keep more of the pie at the smaller brokerage, but you also tend to have more responsibilities because there's just less people that work there. Absolutely. Good question. All right, next. What should I do if the carrier does not send me their BOL? I think this is pretty easy to answer. Facebook gonna, stalk them until they call <laughs> you back. <laughs> reach out to them and request it. You need that BOL, all right? I think people often, newer people, often forget the importance of certain things like this. So a, a bill of lading is a legal binding contractual document, okay? It's so important, and we've talked about this before, Let's say there's a discrepancy on the temperature that a reefer was supposed to be set at, right? Email said this, phone call, they told me this. Whatever's on the BOL, that is what truly is the binding information right there. In addition, that BOL gets signed at the pickup and at the delivery, right? There's three spots. You've got the, the shipper, the driver, and the receiver all signing it, agreeing to what, what happened, right? Now, if that bill of lading is not sent in, you don't have legal proof that that load was delivered. Therefore, you should never even consider closing out that load and paying a driver because you have no idea if it actually delivered. If there was a claim on it, because that BOL will list any damages, shortages, you name it. Everything, at the end of the day, that's the document that matters. Without it, you really can't invoice, you can't get paid. That's where you verify detention, check in, check out times. Everything yep. and anything involved in the entire shipment. That's what the document's yeah. for. So a good um, best practice is some brokers, what they'll do, and I, I like this, is they'll tell the driver, hey, just you know, send your paperwork in, but take a picture of the BOL when it's signed at the receiver. That way I know we're good and there's no issues, right? And that gives you peace of mind. And the next way that I, and again, right, it's, what is it? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Like, get ahead of this. <laughs> you always, you're like the Proverbs guy. I love it. When you talk to your drivers, right, um, you want to tell them why you need the BOL, right? Like, look, the faster I get this, the less delays you have in getting paid. That yeah. alone usually gets you most every one of your BOLs on time. Yep. And when you're check calling them, when he tells you he's at the receiver, remind them, hey, do me a favor. Can you just text me a picture to your point? Hey, when you get done with this so that I have it right now. Or hey, can you scan it and shoot me a copy when you get back to your truck? That way there's no delay in invoicing it. I can get this over to the customer and get your detention approved or what. So here, here's something that we actually uh, have been doing this week. I got one of my guys doing a big um, oil rig project and they needed a ton of credit. And we we really never worked with this customer before. We're like, we have to find a creative way to do this because we don't have enough information on them. We don't have any history with them. And how are we gonna give them hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit out the gate with zero experience and you know a simple credit report? Um, so what we were doing is the customer agreed to pay upon delivery and we would keep re-upping his, like replenishing his credit line. To, so to speed that up, 
We're getting pictures of BOL sent in. The accounting team knows, all right, it's good. We can go ahead and invoice. The customer goes ahead and wires a chunk of money over. Boom, that credit line, credit line is replenished, right? And when the whole project's all said and done, we didn't have to expose ourselves more than we needed to. So, Also, yeah. another great point to the big brokerages versus the smaller ones. You can take on a lot more risk with the bigger companies. They have deeper pockets. There's, yep. that, that's usually, and that's to another point why some of the smaller brokerages won't do certain things is because the risk really isn't worth it. Like, I mean, when you talk about some commodities like eggs or even like raspberries or asparagus, like there's some, and there's a reason because like you lose one, you're back 50,000 into the hole. And like, you know how many loads you gotta run to get back up to that? It's just not worth the exposure. Yeah, maybe you can make six, $700 a load, but one of these goes wrong and then the carriage insurance. I mean, there's just a lot of risk there. Um, yep. And you can play, I mean, you have, you have almost house money at the bigger companies because they want that and they're willing to take it. They know that and they keep pushing you to do more of it. You're absolutely correct. So true. All right. Last question, um, and the, the, this question was a lot longer and we had emailed back and forth a couple times, um, but in a nutshell, this guy's a broker and he's asking, how can I deal, how do I deal with this situation basically? I have a carrier that has a factoring company and that factoring company is telling me that I'm not credit worthy enough for me to move a load for X amount, right? Or for me to have a load for X amount to pay them. Um, Man, factor companies are weird. They are very, very weird. Um, what I will tell you is whenever you run into a credit worthiness type of situation, right? And again, this guy's been in business, I think it was like at least a year, okay? Okay, so it wasn't like a couple weeks in. No, no, so here's the deal. Yeah, I mean, if you are, if you're in business brand new, you're gonna have to have your own factoring company to solve these problems for you because any, a carrier is going to know they're getting paid in that situation then, right? Yep. Or, or their factoring company for that matter. is going to know they're getting paid when it's coming from some other big box factor down the street or across the country. Um, but if you've been in, beer, and been in business for a year, you've got a track record, right? It may not be with that carrier or with their factoring company, but you've got references. You've got data and financials that you can show them, right? Now, if you are truly in a bad financial spot after, you know, after a year, then you've got other things to work on and it's, you know, we, we can't just give you the magic sauce on how to fix this. But if you are truly in good financial shape, you are paying carriers on time, this stuff is reported on load boards, right? You can see days to pay on DAT and on truck stop, okay? Um, so what I'd tell you is try to get creative. I mean, even when we're trying to give credit to a shipper that not doesn't necessarily have the ability for us to just say, yeah, go ahead and have this credit. Like I just gave you that example about trying to be creative and work a, a certain situation with them. But we've had scenarios too, where we're like, hey, let, let me, you know, we, we'll do a credit application if we absolutely need to. And we'll ask for some references and we'll make the quick calls. The same thing can go with the carrier. If you got a carrier, you're, you're unsure on their credibility. You might want to ask for three references of other brokers that they've hauled for and just call those brokers. Just, hey, you know, you guys move a load with so-and-so. Um, and I know, I'm, again, I'm kind of getting off the factoring part, but there's a lot of subjectiveness that goes into all of the relational pieces to freight brokering, right? It's not just whatever's on paper, whatever the number of the score is, is 
everything. That's just not well, the case. And I know some some people that I've worked with, what they've done is like they've paid cash and then they've contacted that factoring company and said, look, I'll pay cash, but I want you to report this transaction. So it at least gets me towards my credit, right? So yeah, even though maybe you didn't get to utilize credit, you're able to build it every time you're paying cash for these loads, as long as you yep. notify the factoring company why you're doing it, how you're doing it, what you're doing it. Yep, absolutely. And that's the thing too is, a lot of people don't report that good data and that can hurt you. So, mm -hmm. man, good stuff. A lot of good questions there. That, that's that's it for the questions. Um, I did want to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Man, they're they're killing it for us, right? Obviously, we, we, we I think we picked two of the best organizations that align with our values and our mission to be sponsors of the Freight 360 podcast and of, of Freight 360 overall. Um, Lean's doing great things, right? We talk about it every week, right? Staffing, that's putting bodies in seats, whether that's for um, you know an accounting person, someone else in the back office, a dispatcher. They've got Lean Sales, which is your account managers or your, uh, your sales reps, Lean Tech and Lean Marketing. So if you need websites built, anything technologically done um, or social media managed or just any kind of branding related stuff, they really do it all. And they have grown so much since we've had them as a partner with us. So check them out at leangroup.com. Again, we use them on the tech and the marketing side. They are so great to work with. I can't wait to have Trey on here again. Um, what do we got? Uh, what do we got coming up the pipeline here, Ben? Anything well, fun, exciting? Off the top of my head, you kind of put me on the spot. With literally just <laughs> well, drew hey, blank. To be determined, there'll be a um, DAT part two webinar. I we think don't we're going to do them on a regular basis now. Yeah, like at the very least quarterly, but they're going to be happening fairly regularly. So they're going to be, we're going to be like moving into like some type of schedule. So anybody that was on it that is listening, we will be doing a follow up to that one. So I'm really excited to do that. I had a lot of fun doing the first one. I think the next one's going to be every bit as good as the last. Still doing a lot of the stuff with the TIA. Um, we've got, I think our next session with them is like in November. But, it, you know, they're running the new broker success program. We're doing a lot of stuff with them. Yeah. So as far as content that we put out for free, though, I mean, you, you guys have been getting the podcast every Friday. It's on YouTube now, so you can watch it on YouTube. It also drops Friday there. Um, YouTube, we're launching educational and how-to and Q&A type question and response videos, usually on on the weekends that we're starting to release them. Um, we'll have a coinciding blog once a week that's going out. We've got our newsletter that's going out every single week. And we try to give you a recap of some of that content in the newsletter, let you know what's going on. But I mean, hey, we're putting out, here's the great thing, man. We're at this point, we are a well-oiled machine and we have found a very, very efficient way to get our knowledge and experience out to everyone that's listening and it consumes our content. And we're just gonna keep doing it because we love it. This you guys is, are awesome. And this is one of the parts that's most enjoyable, right? Was it like, I'm sure there'll be still more headaches as we grow and you know, things transition to other things. But like a lot of this coming together of the past year, it just really makes me, I don't know, just happy. It's nice to see like our websites up and all functions, like everything is doing what it's supposed to do. We're able to, I mean, we work with consultants. We work with YouTube consultants. So if you are a fan of our show, you'll see it changing. You're seeing the production quality change. Even this platform right now, we just picked up a couple weeks ago, Riverside, which is fantastic. And I think all of these things are just, I don't know, it's more and more enjoyable. I'm having more and more fun doing this every week. It means it was the right fit for us when we Absolutely. did this Absolutely. long time ago. Yeah, man. Um, next week, do you want to give a little teaser on the content of the episode? Yeah, 
Yeah, we're going to be doing freight brokerage communication. So we're going to be covering best practices, standard operating procedures for like how to structure even like emails, when are like best ways to communicate, how you're actually communicating, different tips and tricks that I've picked up just using email and things. Um, But I think it's, you know, it like goes without saying that communication is very important in an industry where like that's literally all you're doing is conveying information. But I, I realize we just really haven't covered how would you do that, right? Like how would you structure the email? What would you put in the subject lines? How often are you emailing updates? How do you deal with your carriers? How do you, and there's some just nuanced things that like I've noticed that I know you and I do that I think are gonna be really great to share with everybody. So Definitely. should be a good, good show next week. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Steelers got a game this week. Do, but I lost track who it was. I checked yesterday. And... Well, don't ask me to give any NFL predictions because I was terrible, apparently, last week. I didn't know Russell Wilson's finger was broken. I thought the Bills were going to win by a million, and they lost. Halloween, but, uh, Steelers versus the Browns. Should be a really good game um, just because it's the Browns. Steelers, Browns, when is that? Uh, October 31st. Oh, Halloween. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so Halloween. you guys have a bye week? It looks weekend? like, yeah, you're right, because yeah, that is the next game. Those are show. playing Miami on the 31st as well. So that's. Uh, oh, I'll be so able to watch that game. Or is it, are they playing? It'll be televised down here anyway, so. Um, my Bills and. Yeah, you're right. It would yeah, be. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's a Miami game. Every I, I, Miami I, game. Honestly, I, yep. yeah. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank there when, yeah, you, you yeah, that's. <laughs> you're in South Florida. Yeah, you'll be able to watch my Bills. So don't have a whole lot of hope for them, but uh, for your, for the Miami Dolphins at least against the Bills. So, but hey, it's pretty much probably more Bills fans there anyway than there is Dolphins fans at this point with all the, the massive migration of people. So, you got any Halloween costumes planned for kids yet? Yeah, I'm. Uh, my son loves Curious George, so he's a little monkey, and I'm the man in the yellow hat. And my wife still has to figure out what she's doing with our newborn, but. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'm gonna look like a giant banana that day. Apparently, oh, that's so. that's a good costume. I yeah. think we're I think we're gonna be the. It was between the Barbie family and between the Adams family, and I think my wife's still split on which one of the two. But I don't know what maybe one of those two. Right on, fun stuff. You guys had cool uh, get ups last year, man. That was pretty sweet. You yeah. did like the uh, Harley uh, Quinn and the, the Joker. Yeah. And then we dressed up. Yeah, and Ava was Maggie from The Simpsons. <laughs> nice. I wanted to do the whole Simpson family. In fact, my dad's going to be in town, and so is our son. I was like, we should do, like, an entire, like, family, family Halloween costume. So we'll That'd see. Cool. But Halloween's always one of my favorite holidays, so looking forward yeah. to it. I know you guys got all – you had some awesome – you did Star Wars last year, didn't you? Like, everybody, was, like, all of your I, friends? Yeah, we, pretty much all of us. I was the – I was Mando from Mandalorian. Um, my son – was uh, Baby Yoda or Grogu, depending mm-hmm. on how much of a Star Wars nerd you are. My wife was Leia. Um, we had we had a whole bunch. We had like, uh, dude, her cousins were. There was like nine people, people in the photo. Like I could picture the photo of everyone yeah. in it. Like, yeah, there was a photo of like ten of us. It was good. So. Well, hey, good stuff. Looking forward to next week's episode. Any final thoughts, Ben? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And, well, I guess they're not playing next week, but uh, in my Bills bye week until next week, until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. 
Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.